0: If you like listening to my conversations with interesting people, you'll love listening to them or watching them on Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service where you can get access to these interviews early and ad-free, as well as bonus episodes from my YouTube channel and exclusive series you can't find anywhere else. Sign up for Nebula by clicking the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe to support the podcast and help promote content that matters. This video is supported by ExpressVPN. Fans of the musical Hamilton are probably familiar with the song Dear Theodosia. Uh, It's a very moving song, and in this song the the characters Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr sing to their newborn children about this new country that they're building and how they're going to do their best to make it a good one for them to grow up in. It's something I'm sure any parent can identify with. In the play, Hamilton's son Philip would later die tragically in a duel, and we never really hear what happened to Aaron Burr's daughter Theodosia, but her life was pretty tragic as well. In 1801, Theodosia married a wealthy landowner named Joseph Alston, who would later go on to become the governor of South Carolina. Uh, They would have a child together in 1803, a boy that they named Aaron Burr Alston. Sadly, he died of malaria at only 9 years old in 1812. This was especially hard on Theodosia. She had something of a mental breakdown, and her health began to fail. She decided that perhaps a change of scene would help her to deal with her grief, so on December 31st, she boarded a schooner called the Patriot and left to go visit her father. The Patriot set sail out of Georgetown, South Carolina, and after that, the Patriot and Theodosia vanished from the face of the earth. Old-school viewers of this channel know that I love me some mysteries of the unexplained, so it shouldn't be any surprise that when I was a kid, I was really into the Bermuda Triangle. Like, so into the Bermuda Triangle. I was convinced that if you stepped one foot inside the Bermuda Triangle, you were doomed. Toast. Bye, Felicia. seriously when i was a kid the cold war was still going on and i came up with this brilliant idea that we should trick the soviets into attacking miami because then ah then they'd have to go across the bermuda triangle and they'd all just disappear boom freedom baby except coming from russia they would probably come from the north and never get anywhere near the bermuda triangle there were some kinks in the plan this is probably why you shouldn't put eight-year-olds in charge of the military But just to back up, for those of you who aren't as well-versed in the woo-woo, the Bermuda Triangle is an area of ocean between Miami, Puerto Rico, and Bermuda, inside of which, according to legend, ships and planes have a tendency to sort of disappear. There are also stories of mysterious lights and compasses going haywire, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Stories about unexplained events in the Bermuda Triangle go really way back, as we'll get to in just a second, but the legend of the Bermuda Triangle seemed to really pick up steam in the 1950s. An article in the Miami Herald in September 1950 titled, The Sea's Puzzle Still Baffle Men in Push-Button Age by E.V.W. Jones discussed the mysterious disappearances of ships and planes in the area. In it, Jones wrote that, quote, it is the same big world the ancients knew, into which men and their machines and ships can disappear without a trace, unquote. An article in Fate magazine in 1952 titled See Mystery at Our Back Door by George X. Sand described the area as a watery triangle. Which is true. It is... it is watery. In 1962, the Mystery of the Lost Patrol by Alan W. Eckhart appeared in the American Legion magazine, and this seems to be the first time a paranormal element has been invoked regarding the triangle. Eckhart wrote, quote, A lot of pilots have seen a lot of strange things they can't explain. But the phrase Bermuda Triangle first showed up in the pulp magazine Argosy in 1964. It was coined by writer Vincent Gaddis, who described the region as a place that, quote, "...has destroyed hundreds of ships and planes without a trace." A best-selling book, The Bermuda Triangle by Charles Berlitz enhanced the legend in 1974. Since then, The Bermuda Triangle has shown up in music by Fleetwood Mac, I guess you've heard about the Bermuda Triangle, Barry Manilow, Board games. Accessible only across the forbidding lime green waters of the Bermuda Triangle. Computer games. Movies. I've lost contact with 23 Sierra. Well, they're in the Bermuda Triangle. This is Airport 77. And yes, Scooby Doo. Has disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, disappeared? Yeah, Scooby. Ships and planes have been disappearing in the Bermuda Triangle for years. Ships and planes? But once the idea of the triangle is firmly established in people's minds, all these crazy stories from history of things that happened in that triangle started popping up all over the place. In fact, one of the very first ones was from Christopher Columbus himself. Some of the things he reported were a flame of fire falling into the sea, compasses acting weird, and lights off in the distance. Now, all of these do have rational explanations. The, the flame falling into the sea could have been a meteor, and that doesn't really matter anyway, because it happened way earlier in the trip before they ever got to the Triangle. The strange light in the distance could have been a bonfire from a native tribe. They did discover land just a few days after that. And the compass thing, that's something that gets reported a lot in the Triangle, and there might be a good rational explanation for that. I'll get to that later. A lot of people blame the Bermuda Triangle for what happened to the Mary Celeste, which I talked about in a previous video that happened in 1872, but that also didn't happen in the Bermuda Triangle, that happened closer to the Azores. Then there's a story of the Ellen Austin, which came across a derelict ship floating around in the North Atlantic in 1881. Uh, They were on their way from Liverpool to New York. Some of the Ellen Austin crew boarded the ghost ship and they decided to take it with them because it had a pretty valuable supply of mahogany on board, uh, even if all the crew had disappeared. So they started sailing together. They eventually encountered a storm, got separated, and the ghost ship and its crew disappeared. Again, weird story, but again, it, it wasn't in the triangle. What did disappear in the Bermuda Triangle was the USS Cyclops, which disappeared in 1918. It was a shipping vessel on the way from the West Indies to Baltimore with 11,000 pounds of manganese ore on board. Somewhere along the way, something happened and it never quite got to Baltimore. 309 crew members were never seen again. Now, a recently discovered logbooks showed that one of their engines had gone out and they were sitting lower in the water than they were supposed to be. So it was most likely just a hobbled ship that ran into some rough Atlantic waters and went down. Into of the drink, as they say. By the way, two sister ships of the Cyclops, the USS Proteus and the USS Neurus, both went down the Bermuda Triangle in the same year, 1941. They were both loaded with bauxite, which is acidic, and there's one theory that says that that bauxite might have eroded the longitudinal hull of the ship, causing it to become weak and fall apart in rough seas. And there's also some people that think they may have been sunk by German U-boats. Always a possibility in wartime. Now another famous case is the Carol A. Deering in 1921. It was found washed up on a beach in Diamond Shoals, North Carolina, with its sails up, but its lifeboats missing. The crew was gone, all their personal belongings, log books, navigational equipment, and so forth. Apparently it had been seen two days before by a lightship keeper, and one of the crew members had told them that they'd lost their anchors. Why exactly they abandoned ship and what happened to them remains a mystery. Some people think it might have been a mutiny, other theories suggest pirates. Few other ship disappearances attributed to the Bermuda Triangle include the SS Marine Sulphur Queen in 1963, a yacht named Witchcraft in 1967, and the SS Marine Sylvia L. Osa in 1976. So there's clearly some unfortunate stuff that's happened to boats in this area, no question about it, but it was a series of disappearances of planes in the 1940s that really made the Bermuda Triangle famous. Flight 19 is easily the most famous disappearance that occurred in the Bermuda Triangle. It was what was mentioned in those articles that I was talking about earlier. And it's also what was referenced at the beginning of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. At 2.10pm on December 5th, 1945, five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers took off in a routine training exercise from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The plan for the three-hour flight was to fly east from Florida, conduct some bombing runs, then turn north toward Grand Bahama Island before turning southwest back to the base. There were 14 crew members, led by flight leader Lieutenant Charles C. Taylor, who was an experienced pilot and war veteran. None of these guys were ever seen again. I feel like I'm saying that a lot in this video. It's just so juicy. And it is a juicy story! Not just one plane, but five planes disappearing at the same time? And military planes, no less? It spawned a multitude of theories, everything from a time and space vortex to... of course. But there are radio records in that day that shed a light on what actually happened. Things went well for the first part of the exercise, and then they turned north toward Grand Bahama, and things just went haywire from there. Taylor was convinced that his compass wasn't working correctly and they were going in the wrong direction. And it didn't help that it was raining and there was low cloud cover, so they had very little visibility. A Navy flight instructor, Lieutenant Robert F. Cox, was flying close to the Florida coast and overheard the flight's radio communication, so he asked if they needed help. Taylor responded, quote, both my compasses are out and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale. I'm over land, but it's broken. I'm sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down and I don't know how to get to Fort Lauderdale. This was a strange thing to say because the planes had just passed over the bombing run location. Now he's saying they were in the Keys, which was hundreds of miles away. Thinking they were here, Taylor instructed everyone to turn northeast and this only placed them further from Florida. Over the radio, one of the other pilots was heard saying, I think if we turn west, we could get back home. So, clearly not everybody was in agreement with him, and they did eventually persuade him to turn west, which they did for a while, but then he changed his mind and went back the other direction. I think he began to fear that if he was right the first time and they were in the Gulf of Mexico, then turning west would have put them further out to sea and looking at their fuel gauges and seeing those get lower and lower, he began to panic and think that if he was going the wrong direction, then he was dooming them. So he turned them back around to go back the other direction, which ironically created the very situation that he was trying to avoid. Bottom line, for one reason or another, he didn't know what side of Florida he was on. And he had very little visibility because of all the rain, so it was kind of a coin toss. In the last radio communication from the squadron, Taylor told everybody to prepare for a water landing and he told them to do it as close together as possible so they could stay together in the water. The radio signal then became increasingly garbled, and at 7.04, it went silent. Search planes were immediately dispatched, including a pair of PBM Mariner flying boats, and amazingly, one of those disappeared. It's believed that it exploded after takeoff. A passing ship saw a fireball in the sky, and there was an oil slick in the ocean. But either way, there were 13 crew members on that plane, which effectively doubles the loss of life that day. The Navy searched 300,000 miles of ocean over five days, and no wreckage or crew members were ever found. Three years later, another plane went missing called the Star Tiger. The Star Tiger was an Avro Tudor Mark IV passenger aircraft operated by the British South American Airways. It was commanded by Captain B.W. McMillan. It was carrying 25 passengers and six crew members. It departed London, England on January 27th for a trip to Bermuda. It experienced cabin heating and compass problems that were fixed during an overnight stop in Lisbon, Portugal, and then continued on to the Santa Maria Azores the next day, where they stayed overnight because of poor weather conditions. When they left for Bermuda, they did so following another plane called the Avro-Lancastrian, who were radioing weather information back to them. The Lancastrian landed safely at Kindley Field, Bermuda an hour past its scheduled arrival time because of a strong headwind that also sent the plane 109 kilometers off course. But the Star Tiger never arrived. The captain did not send out a stress signal, never reported any adverse weather conditions, just... nothing. Search and rescue teams didn't find any wreckage, didn't find any signs of passengers anywhere. It just vanished. Now one theory is that the Star Tiger was flying extremely low, only 610 meters above sea level, uh, because they wanted to fly in warmer air for some reason. And it's thought that flying so low through much denser air caused it to burn more fuel than usual. That combined with an excessively strong headwind, they may have just run out of fuel. And a year after that, in 1949, the star aerial met a similar fate. So guys, if there's anything you learn from this video, it's don't fly across the Bermuda Triangle in a plane with the word star in the name, okay? The plane was an Avro 688 Tudor 4B passenger aircraft, also operated by British South American Airways. There were 13 passengers on board and 7 crew members departing from Bermuda on January 17, 1949, on its way to Jamaica. The pilot was Captain John Clutha McPhee. The weather was clear, the flight was on track, cruising at 5,486 meters, and then it disappeared. The last radio contact came from McPhee at 942, when the crew told Bermuda that they were switching their radio to the Kingston, Jamaica frequency. This one really is a mystery. The search and rescue team found no trace of the airplane. Uh, The investigators were able to rule out inclement weather, pilot error. There weren't any issues on the plane that anybody was aware of. The official report comes to no firm conclusion. It lists the reason for the accident as unknown. A similar story involved an unnamed Douglas DC-3 flying from San Juan, Puerto Rico to Miami, Florida in December of 1948. It had 29 passengers and three crew members on board, and it was piloted by Captain Robert E. Lundquist. They were supposed to arrive in Miami at 4.05, but at 4.13, he radioed the tower saying they were about 50 kilometers south of there. And then, radio silence. The U.S. Coast Guard, Navy, and an Air Force squadron searched for the plane with help from the governments of Nassau, Dominican Republic, and Cuba. And yeah, no wreckage was found, no bodies, nothing washed up on shore. Nothing. The only aberration that may or may not have had something to do with it was that they uh, needed to charge their batteries at the beginning of the flight. So there was actually a little bit of a delay. They flew around San Juan for about 11 minutes charging their batteries. So I guess it's possible that the batteries didn't fully charge or maybe there was some kind of short in the electrical system that could have caused the plane to go down. I don't know. Now, those are just a few of the standout stories around the Bermuda Triangle. There's no way to have an exact number of how many planes and ships have gone down, but it's thought to be somewhere between 20 planes and 50 ships. Now, that's not nothing, but ships go down all around the world all the time, and they do tend to go down more in some places than others, and those places are usually very highly trafficked shipping lanes because there's more ships to go down. And the Triangle just happens to be at a crossroads of shipping lanes that service North America, South America, the Gulf of Mexico, the Caribbean, and the Panama Canal. It's one of the most highly trafficked shipping areas in the world. Add on top of this the fact that they call this area Hurricane Alley. Because, you know, all the hurricanes. The Gulf Stream flows through this area, bringing with it warmer, more turbulent water that can easily whip up storms and hurricanes, especially during the time of year when the air up north is colder. So, generally rough season storms, but this active current can also cause navigation problems, because according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, quote, the Gulf Stream flows at a rate nearly 300 times faster than the typical flow of the Amazon River. That might make a ship or two go off course. And remember earlier when I mentioned the compass issues? Yeah, it turns out there might actually be a good rational explanation for this, too. So you probably know that the magnetic north pole is not the same as true north. The magnetic north pole moves around quite a bit, actually, and old-timey navigators that used compasses had to correct for that, and that correction is known as declination. So navigators always had to keep this in mind, always applying the declination to what their compasses were telling them. So if the compass was pointing at due north, they knew that they had to add a few degrees whichever way the declination told them to. Well, there is a line known as the agonic line that wraps around the planet that lines up the true north with the magnetic north. So if you're on the agonic line and your compass points to the magnetic north, you are looking at true north. Zero declination, basically. And that line, historically, has often passed through the Bermuda Triangle. Now, is that enough to send a ship off course? Would a seasoned navigator know to expect something like that? Would this be something that could throw off later uh, you know, navigational instruments and whatnot? I don't know enough to say. But I can't help but notice that there haven't been any major incidents in the Bermuda Triangle since GPS became a thing. Just saying. And yet, despite that, and despite its notoriety, it's not even the most deadly place in the ocean. A 2013 study by the World Wildlife Fund didn't even list the Bermuda Triangle in the top 10, naming places such as the South China Sea, the Black Sea, and the North Sea as high-risk areas for shipping accidents. But yeah, look, there have been some tragedies that have occurred in this particular part of the ocean, no question about it. But it's just not as unusual as the legend would have you think it was. It turns out planes and ships disappear all around the world all the time. Perhaps the scarier thought is that the whole world is a Bermuda Triangle. But that legend it's strong and it's it's easy to get sucked into it and that's why as i pointed out before some of the most famous cases in the bermuda triangle didn't even take place in the bermuda triangle in fact theodosia burr who i started this video talking about she was sailing from south carolina to new york she didn't go anywhere near the bermuda triangle and you thought that was crazy didn't you you probably tweeted that out before you ever got to the end of this video shame on you and Yeah, shame on me for toying with you, but mostly shame on you! But that's how this works. When people find out that something happened in the Bermuda Triangle, it just becomes a whole thing, even if that thing wasn't that unusual or didn't even take place there. So maybe the only thing about the Bermuda Triangle is that it's just a very highly trafficked area of ocean that happens to have some extreme weather and lie along a navigational anomaly that produces the exact number of downed planes and ships that one would statistically expect from such an area. So yeah, as much as my eight-year-old self would hate to hear this, there's probably nothing paranormal whatsoever about the Bermuda Triangle. It's just another spot in the ocean. With a cool name. It is a dope name. Bermuda Bermuda Triangle. Bermuda Triangle the Bermuda Triangle? The Bermuda Triangle. So you probably don't have to fear disappearing in the Bermuda Triangle, but you don't have to go anywhere for hackers and bots to make your data disappear from your computer. So I can highly recommend checking out ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN hides your computer from the outside world by masking your IP address and making it look like you're somewhere else through a virtual private network. It's fast, super easy to install. I was able to do it with no problems, and I'm a moron about this kind of stuff. So it just works. It's just totally in the background. You just turn it on and keep doing your thing like normal. In fact, it's better than normal, because it lets you do things that you can't normally do. You can be sneaky. For example, have you ever been browsing YouTube and seen a video you want to watch, but you can't because copyright laws blocked it in your country? Haha! <laughs> Thanks, copyright laws. Well ExpressVPN gives you the ability to make it look like you're in a different country, so all you have to do is just change what country you're from, and magically, those videos appear. It works on Netflix, too. Like, did you know people in the UK can watch Rick and Morty on Netflix? Well, with ExpressVPN, you can too. All you have to do is connect to a server in the United Kingdom, refresh the page, and there it is. Anyway, if any of that's got you curious, you can sign up for three months for free at ExpressVPN slash Joe Scott. Like I said, it's super easy, it doesn't cost you anything to start out, and it just works. And you know what, there's there's enough things to stress about in the world right now, so let's just take that one off your plate, shall we? So yeah, ExpressVPN.com slash Joe Scott, links down below. Thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this video, and a huge shout-out to the Answer Files on Patreon, and today I'm gonna to shout-out some of the YouTube channel members. I don't really shout you guys out too much, and I should probably be doing that. So, here's some names to murder that are on the YouTube members list right now. There's Henrik Sorensen, Cheryl Herbert, Boom Bang Crash, Hugh Etner, Hiroshi Loves You, Daniel O'Brien, Jamie Davis, King Longinator Boarding, Lou LuLaRoe, Steve Sorensen, Ice-T Cox, uh, Dan Sawyer and Rock King. So, if you would like to sign up for a membership, there's a little link right down below this video. It says "Join Now." You just click that. Um, right now, we only have $5 a month uh, a level, and you get access to to exclusive live streams, like the Patreon people do. You get early access to videos a little bit before everybody else does, and you get little badges that go next to your name that shows the world that you're better than everyone else. And I can tell you, there's few things more awesome than knowing that you're better than everyone else. <laughs> So I've heard. Anyway, thanks to all the members. If you would like to join them, just click the link down below that says join, and uh, there you go. All right, thanks for watching. Please like and share this video if you liked it, and if this is your first time here, Google thinks you'll like this video, so check that one out. See what you think. There's others down on the side over here, and if you like them and you want to see more, uh, I encourage you to subscribe. I come back with videos every Monday. All right, that's it for now. You guys go out there. Have an eye-opening week. Stay safe, and I'll see you next Monday. Love you guys. Take care.